have an opportunity this Christmas season to give as a church. And, and so one of the opportunities actually just came up this week. Uh, I was talking with Peter from Lighthouse, the, uh, the manager there, and they are in need of turkeys for their Christmas dinner. Uh, they're about eight to 10 turkeys short right now for their Christmas dinner. And so uh, we're, we were talking about it just briefly here as a leadership. We're going to give to that as a church. We're going to determine kind of what the Lord would have us give. But if you feel like you would like to give over and above your tithe, uh, if you feel like the Lord would have you give to that, then feel free. You can also give to that by uh, putting some money in the alms. Probably is maybe the easiest way just so that we separate it or make a note on a check that it's for let the Lighthouse uh, donation, but we'll be, we're going to be doing something because we, we feel like the Lord has us connected to Lighthouse. We know there's a need there, and, and so that's what we're going to be doing for Christmas. All right, so Advent. Uh, anyone know where the Advent or the word Advent comes from? Anyone, anyone know that? Anyone, are you, any of you still are like, why do we call this season Advent? Honestly? Okay, good. If you can be honest and admit that, because I've had people say, why in the world do we call this Advent? Um, Advent comes from the Latin word. I don't, you know, I don't expect that you're fluent in Latin, but it comes from the word Adventus, which translates the Greek word, if you're following me, parousia. Parousia, the, the word, um, that word appears in the New Testament 24 times to speak of Jesus' coming or arrival. And so Advent means basically the coming of Jesus. That's, that's why we call it that. Uh, and and it's, Advent is this celebration of the coming of Jesus and, and stirring expectation in us for his return. And so that's really the purpose behind Advent. Um, the, the theme of the third week of Advent has historically been love. Um, and so our Advent passages we read this morning, if you were tracking all of that, you would have um, been hearing that they were talking about love. And, and the love that God has for this world and the love that God has for us. And so, uh, actually this morning, I want to spend time basically just going through those specific passages that we read. And, we're gonna, and I want to preach on that. Um, now alongside this, and, and I wasn't actually planning this until late this week. And, uh, and actually we had, we had met as this newly formed leadership team that Dwayne talked about, and we were talking about some things, and we've been talking about vision for the church and where we're going. And, and so uh, for a number of months as a leadership team, we've been working on and discussing some vision for LCF, um, sort of what the Lord, uh, creating a new vision statement, what the Lord would have us be about, what he's leading us to be about, and, and, and what he wants us to communicate in that sense in a very concise and clear manner. Now, you know, for lack of a better word, a tagline, but I, I hesitate to use that word tagline, but you know what I mean? Like, like it's, it's a clear sort of, this is what we want to be about as a church. This is kind of partly what, when people hear about LCF, We'd love for them to hear this alongside it. And, that, and so um, we talked about that, and we've settled on a new statement that we'll, we'll begin to roll out. It'll be on our you know, communication, our website, that sort of thing. But it's, it's very simple, um, and it's love God, love people, follow and proclaim the way of Jesus. And, and that's really what we want to be about. Now, in that you can unpack that more, and we, we have. We've got a, a kind of a longer statement alongside that as far as, okay, what does that mean? How do we see that being flushed out? But you want something, we want something clear and concise and short that people can say, hey, that's LCF. They, they want to love God. They want to love people. They want to follow, and they want to proclaim the way of Jesus. And 
Now, in order to live that out in our lives, like, like if we're gonna embrace that and if that's gonna become part of like what we embody as a people, we have to then be able to receive God's love. You, you can't love God, you can't love others if you're not able to actually receive the love of God for yourself. Um, we, we just won't be able to love people well. I, I mean, if I don't receive the love of God, I can't love people well. I, I'm incapable of that. And so the desire of this is not that you're like, these are, that we're just hearing words, right? That we're just communicating a clever little line that, that we, we, we think sounds good and, and flows. It's not that. Our, our desire is that this would be the mission that we would have as a church, that we would internalize this and embrace this idea in every area of our lives, that in every area we love God, we love people, and we follow and we are committed to proclaiming the way of Jesus as, as the way to have joy and fullness of life and all of that, right? And so the celebration of Advent also reminds us of this reality of our need. In, inherently, in Advent, it's the coming of Jesus, which is like, well, why did Jesus have to come? Well, because there was a great need. Scripture reveals that the coming of Jesus was the only hope for this world, that there is no other hope apart from this. And, and it's the promise of Jesus' return, his second coming, that forms the basis all of Christian hope, all of it, is, is rooted in Jesus is coming back. And, and it was and is our only hope because we have a massive problem. And here's the massive problem we have. It's called sin. It is a massive, massive issue, which is a word, you go, what does that mean? What? It's a word that speaks to our separation from God and our brokenness, the belief that, that we can make it ourselves, that, that we can figure this out. It's our willful desire to reject God and to make our lives about ourselves. That, that pretty much encapsulates what sin is all about. And, and we see this brokenness all around us. We, we see corrupting effects of it in people's lives. We see the hurt, the devastation, the deception that seems so pervasive everywhere we look. And we, and we feel it in ourselves, right? We experience hurt, we experience pain, we experience rejection, and we do it to others. And, and we have this longing for something better. And, and this is why Advent isn't so much about a celebration, actually, as it is about hope and longing. It is, Advent is really about stirring hope and longing in us. It, it touches that ache inside of our soul for more of God. That, that's, a, you know, when I, when I do, we do Advent readings this time of year with our kids, and we, we have some intentional kind of almost practices that we, we like to do, traditions as a family. And I find every time I'm reading this, it's stirring this this. It's touching an ache inside of me for, for more of God. Like that, that I want to see more of God. And, I, and, and that's, that's God that has put that inside of us. And so, you know, we can enjoy and appreciate so many traditions and experiences around this time of year. We all have various traditions we do and things that we, special things. And that's, that's great. But Advent reminds us, none of that will satisfy us. 
Like ultimately, only God's presence will satisfy us. That's it. That, that is the thing that we need more than anything. We need Emmanuel, God with us. Advent also reminds us that, that God initiated this restoration of relationship with us. It wasn't us. He did it. And, and it, was, it was while we were dead in our sins, Scripture says, that God came and he saved us. He, he came and the separation that, our willful separation that, that had estranged us from God, he came in the midst of that. God intervened. He provided a way for us to love him while we were still hopelessly lost. And so in the coming of Jesus, which is the heart of God, our, our Father in heaven has revealed his heart to us in the coming of Jesus. We see it in that. And so I want to I talk about that this morning here. I want to talk about that from John 3, from Ephesians 3, those passages that we read, and I want to end on something from Isaiah 40 as well. So the first thing that, that you know, I feel like these passages highlight or reveal to us is God's heart is for everybody to know his love. But his, God's heart is for everybody. You know, we would agree, those, those words that we heard at the beginning of John uh, 3, 3.16, for God so loved the world, right, that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Like, those are probably some of the best-known words from the Bible in all of the English language. I mean, so many people know that, right? And these, these words were actually written by John, to provide further context, actually, there, there was in John, earlier in John 3, there's this conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, and they're talking about what it means to have new life and to be born again. And then John, he adds this at the end of John 3, and it sort of it's, it's, represents one of the best summaries of the gospel, actually, in all of the New Testament. And, and, and we know, obviously, like when it says, for God so loved the world, he's not talking about the physical earth here. He's talking about people. He's talking about the people who reside on it. And, and this message, one of the things we need to understand, that message was unfathomable in a Jewish context. Like, God loves everybody. Like, God sent his son for everybody. What do you, what, we're the chosen people. Like, we're God's people. This would have been like, this was really striking to them. But what it reveals is that it's God's heart is for relationship. God did not come, as it says there, to condemn the world, but to save it. He came to restore it and to draw us back to himself. And it flows out of his love for us. It flows from this incredible love. And this love came at a great price. God gave Jesus his one and only son as the price of this restoration. These, these words that we read, they don't just point to the incarnation of Jesus in the flesh coming as a baby, but actually it's pointing to his death on the cross. It's pointing to his crucifixion. And John's making this point. His life was given for us. This love is sacrificial. This love is costly. And it offers us eternal life. So, you know, we're, we're not meant to receive these words 
as simply referring to our eternal destiny, right? Like, for God so loved the world that, he, that, that we're, we're going to have this eternal life somewhere in the future. It's this far-off event. That's, that's not it. This is not meant to be understood as just some future insurance policy that we're going to cash in when we die and be like, see, look, I got it here. I'm in the club. That's, that's not what it's talking about here. This is about life and the fullness of it now. Yes, it's eternal life. It's life in God. It's life with God. But it's life now in Christ. It's about healing. It's about wholeness. It's about restoration. It's about forgiveness now. It's about, it, it's about relationship with the one who created you and loves you more than anyone ever will. And so, as I said, these words were connected to Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, who, you know, Nicodemus was a very religious man. Like, I'm just going to put it out there. He probably, he knew more than any of us here, guaranteed. Like, he was steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. He was, he was, he was at the top of the food chain when it came to the Pharisees. I mean, this guy knew his scripture. And you know, I don't, I don't know how many of you have watched The Chosen, but there's a, one of The Chosen episodes has this uh, conversation with Jesus and, and the actor who played Nicodemus. And it's, it's quite a lengthy discourse. And it's incredible. Right? I mean, they're drawing, and there's a whole backstory that they kind of create about Nicodemus. There's creative license there. But, but it's an incredible conversation of him recognizing who Jesus is, but then recognizing the cost of what this is going to mean. This offer of relationship with God, and I, and I think that's where that scene in The Chosen does such a wonderful job of visualizing it for us, but it's about new life. It's about spiritual, spiritual new birth. This is the heart of God for everyone that flows from his love. It's for everyone. And this love comes to a world that is desperately lost, desperately broken, it tells us actually here, we're not okay. The, the world is not okay. Apart from God, we are hopelessly lost. John three seventeen and 18 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned or judged, as that was the translation this morning, already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. It's, it's really clear, right? Like, like it's, apart from God, we're condemned. We will perish. It's, it's not that God, Jesus came to condemn the world. It, it's like you already are, we're in that place. We're, we're in the place. It's not, this is not about God coming to, to, you know, give justice and judgment out. It's not that. The world is already in darkness, we're, we're under the cover of darkness that keeps us imprisoned. God came to rescue us, to invite us to step into his light, which leaves us exposed, actually, right? To step from darkness into the light. There is inherently in that, it's we're exposed. So that, though, yes, we are exposed, but so that we open ourselves up to his love. I was, I was listening to a podcast this week that uh, it was speaking about the bias that our Western culture has against the past. 
that we see everything, increasingly we see everything in the past, we're taught to see it as out of touch, full of prejudice, full of inequality, full of bias, simply not useful to us. This, this is sort of the, this, the flow of what we're swimming in right now in our culture. Everything in the past is bad. We're fixing it. The future's all where it's at. We're, we're just, we gotta move forward. The future is the best thing. We're building a better world. Look forward. I mean, we, we look now to younger and younger generations to give us wisdom. We stick 20-year-olds on social media and on all, on, on all sorts of things, and we look to them for wisdom. We're saying, well, how do you see the world? I mean, that, that's, we see this everywhere. We're looking to younger and younger generations to tell us how to live. And we don't, we don't look to the older generations for the most part because our cultures basically said they have nothing relevant to give the world. They, they, they just, they're, they're out of touch. They, you know, they, they lived in a world full of prejudice. Disregard them. Th- that is what we're living in. And, and, and this is what we swim in amidst our culture. We're creating this world of progress and equality that we will create ourselves. We will shape our destinies. That is really what we are told again and again and again. And here's the thing, by all measurables, when you really stand back and start to look at it and actually start to look at data, start to look at what's happening in the world, we are living in a time that's more darker and oppressive than ever, than ever. The the Western message of freedom without consequences is a mirage. It's a counterfeit. It is simply not the reality of what people are experiencing in the world. And when we read history, specifically church history, we we come to see actually again and again, history repeats itself. Like we've been here before actually. This is nothing new. It's a little bit, it's got a little bit of a different packaging on it. But in this podcast, they were talking about how much what we're living in right now is so similar to fourth century uh, the Roman Empire. It's striking. You're like, how could that be? No, it is. Like, it's striking what is going on right now in our world. But in the midst of this darkness, there is light. Okay, that's what we need to do. There is glorious, glorious light found in Jesus. This light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not, cannot overcome it. It's impossible for the light of God to be extinguished because it's impossible to stop the love that God has for people. So, God's heart is for everyone. Secondly, it's also for you personally to know his love. So it's, it's big picture Now let's bring it down for us personally. God's heart is for you to know his love. And I want to bring this out from Ephesians 3, where it says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So these verses there in Ephesians 3 that we read this morning and heard, they were written to local churches, people gathering together like this to follow the way of Jesus together. And so certainly Paul is praying 
big picture for the love of God to be known in the church, over the churches. He's praying for that, that, that it would be present. But we see, we know in scripture that yes, we are the body together, but we are individually members of it, right? So, so this love is, it's experienced together, but, but that's also personally. We, we experience it together personally. And so it is a very personal love here that God is praying for. He's, he's, he's using Paul. This is my desire for people, that they would know the depth of this love. I, you know, when I, when I read these verses, when I, when I just read them again, like, it's so, these verses are so incredible they are hard to articulate to, for us to grasp the measure of what we are reading here, what we are hearing, what's being put into us, right? Because it's talking about the love of God being so overwhelming that it's, it's more than any you could ever imagine. And, and, and it says God's heart is that our lives would be rooted and established in this love. That, that our lives would be fed, they'd be nourished and sustained by this love. That the, words, the words speak here of, of our, our lives, the roots of our lives, like the things that, that give us nourishment, being rooted in this love, that we are fed by this. That the foundation of our lives is built upon us, upon this. That's, that's the imagery that Paul is using here, praying. I, and I think one of the challenges even of, of reading these verses or hearing them and, and communicating the extent and the depth of what this is, is that they're so interconnected with the rest of Ephesians. Like we could stand up here and just read Ephesians 1 and 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 that leads into these verses because all of it is so interconnected. Paul, the, the, the verses that Dwayne read earlier, that's one long run-on sentence in the Greek. One long, like, like there's no pause in the Greek for you to even catch your breath. It's just like, whoo. Paul is like, it's just like there's, there's passion in that prayer. But it's interconnected into the rest of Ephesians where he's saying like before the foundation of the world, God chose us, right? Like we were chosen before anything. He, he wanted us and, and Jesus is above all things. We're, he's seated high above all things. You were dead in your sin. You're dead, hopelessly lost, without hope. But God, but God right? Because of his rich mercy and grace, he saved you and he's calling you and he's prepared good works for you to walk in. And then he talks about how we've been joined together, Jews and Gentiles. We're together in the family of God. We are being built together as a dwelling place for God's spirit. And then he goes on and he talks about how Paul says, I'm a messenger of this gospel and I've been chosen. And like, do you know what I was all about? But anyways, it's like, all of that is leading up into those words. And then Paul's like, I'm praying this for you. Like, do you get it as God's people, the extent of the love of God? Because you were so lost. You were so, so lost. And you couldn't do anything about it. But God. Like, that's probably the two words in Ephesians. Like, but God. Yeah, I, I like. We need to understand the. Oh, now my now this iPod iPad locked. That's great. 
We, we need to understand the depth of what God has done. This, this is not about theological words. This is not about creating a theology out of this. It is that. But it's not that, folks. This is an experiential thing. Have you experienced the love of God like this in your life? That, that's what Paul's wanting to pray over the people. That you would know this. And these words are to be received personally. That's really part of what we're to receive here. You, you are deeply loved. I am deeply loved. You are deeply loved. The love of God is beyond anything you can quantify or measure. It cannot be explained. It cannot even be fully understood. It is immeasurable. And no one is beyond this love. And no one is undeserving of it. Full stop. How can we know this? Because God did not spare his one and only son. There was no measure to which God was not willing to go to save and redeem people. It was a, it's a cost that, let's be honest, I think most of us would reject. I, I've got to give my one and only son. I've got to, I've got to like give him up so that people who like despise me and have no desire to have a relationship with me would be saved. I think most would be like, yeah, I'm not in for that, sorry. That's, that's what God did for you. And as Romans 8 says, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. So God's heart is for everyone. God's heart is for you. And God's heart is that your heart would be his heart to love others, okay? Tracking with me, God's heart is that your heart would be his heart to love others. To know God's love is to share it. You know why? When you know and receive God's love, you can't help but share it because it's incredible. Paul says it there. He says, after he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So God's heart is that our desire would be to be filled with all of his fullness. That we would increasingly in our lives to be growing to become more like who? Not your question. Who are we to be growing to be more like? Every single day. Jesus, every single day. That's God's in, intent. That's his heart for you. That's, he, that's his, that he, his heart is that our desire would be for that, to have this overflowing of God's love present in our lives and flowing to others. And that this would spill over in our relationships to others. And the rest of Ephesians points to this. That's, after Paul prays this in Ephesians, at the end of Ephesians 3, then it shifts and he talks about our relationships with one another in the church. That's all of Ephesians 4. Talks about in there about our love with our neighbors. Well, who's your neighbor? 
everyone, right? So everyone's your neighbor. Won't you be my neighbor? Right? Then, we, then he talks about posture of submission with one another. Like we are to submit to one another. Then he talks about husbands, wives, and children, which was so countercultural in the Roman Empire. Like we have no idea. Like we, we, it grates on us when we hear about wives submit to your husbands. No, no. That was commonplace in the Roman Empire. It was husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Are you kidding me? No. Talks about that. Then he talks about Love and sacrifice so in our marriages. He talks about it in our vocations and our work, how we love in that. The theme is that out of this love that we have received from God, that we would be transformed to love well in every area of our lives. And there's tons of other passages in the New Testament that speak to this. John 17, all of 1 John, all of, well, 1 Corinthians 13, right? I mean, it goes on and on. Sacrificial love for others is at the core of following the way of Jesus. It is the foundation of it. God's heart is that your heart would be his heart. Sounds really nice, right? Like, sounds catchy, has a bit of a nice ring. I thought that was clever, right? We figured it out now, right? You're going to go away from here. We figured it out. God's heart is that your heart would be his heart. We can close this up. We're good, right? Okay, so why is loving others so difficult at times? Why do we go, yeah, right here, this sounds pretty nice. I'm, 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 I'm good with this. This sounds nice, but we get out that door and you hit real life at times and it's like, okay, why is this so difficult? So I, I'm going to shameless at this point, I'm going to steal some stuff from Pete Scazzaro. Um, and so for those of you that haven't read Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, you'll get a little bit of a taste. Uh, it's actually just happened to be part of the chapter that we read this last week for the course that some of us are in right now together. And, and in, the, in the chapter, Pete Scazzaro, he talks about, he says like, you know, I've given many inspiring messages about love and loving others well. And yet he says like it has little impact on people. And, and the reason, he says, is that because messages alone do very little without practical skills for us to incorporate this into our spiritual formation, into the way of Jesus. I, I don't like to hear that. I don't like to read that. I can preach my guts out about love and it actually can have like next to no effect on any of us. That's the truth. Because if we're not looking for ways to have practical skills to make this part of our lives, because we find this hard. And, it, and his point is that in the, in the chapters, that if we don't learn to do this, the, we then live with an inability to walk out our beliefs. We live with an inability to walk out what the Bible tells us that we're to be as followers of Jesus. And, and, and relationships then in the church look no different than the rest of the world. And people look at the church and they're like, what in the world's going on in the church? To love well, we have to begin to assess how we interact and respond in all our relationships. Oh man, like, we don't like to hear that. I, I don't like to hear that at times. And, and the, this is, I mean, this is one of the big sort of pieces of emotional healthy spirituality, right? Is that you can... You can think you're at a certain level spiritually, and yet if you're at a very 
low age emotionally, those things don't compute together. We, we can project great spiritual maturity, but if we are not emotionally healthy, we will struggle to receive love and we will struggle to love others well. So we can talk about following Jesus, we can talk about following his way, we can talk about growing in his character, talk about all of that, but unless we are willing to do the work of exploring our reactions, exploring our responses, exploring our internal lives, we're gonna feel stuck. So how are some ways that we do this? What are some practical ways? Well, and again, I'm, I'm shamelessly stealing from Pete Scazzaro here, okay? So this, this is not Paul. We grow in grace when we stop mind reading, right? All the assumptions that we make about others, all the, the mental creations that we have in our minds that, that create counterfeit worlds about other people, oh yeah, we do that lots. We ease frustration when we clarify expectations. Don't assume, Right? Be, and, and that also means you have to be willing to have difficult conversations. Did you, did you mean this? Like, I, I, I was, this was what I was feeling. Is, is this what you meant there? That's, that, do you like to have that conversation with people? I don't. That, that's, if you're going to not uh, live in unreality and create these mental worlds of assumptions, that's what you have to do. You have to be willing to, to learn how to do that. Third, we experience healing when we begin to understand emotional triggers in our lives. What triggers you? What triggers me? What are things in my past that I've experienced? What are things that I'm walking through that trigger me in this situation or that situation? And what do I do about that? Loving others well with the Father's heart the point of all this is that it doesn't just happen instinctively. It doesn't happen because you hear some words in a message or you read something in scripture. Oh, okay, I read that in Ephesians 3. Good, I'm, I'm good. That, it's, it's not that. It has to be. It has to go deeper. But here's the thing, folks. The reward of being part of a community that loves one another well and spreads the love of Jesus to a hurting world, wow. That's, that's the heart that we have. Right? That's the heart that we wanna have for people. Okay, so I wanna, I wanna wrap up this morning with a question, and that is, it's, it's, a heart, it's a question really from Isaiah 40, and that is, will we prepare our hearts to receive God's love? Because this is kind of where it hits, you know, really hits reality. This is where we go, will I receive this? So we read those first five verses of Isaiah 40 this morning that um, is, is really the beginning actually of a shift. If, you've, if you know anything about Isaiah, the first part of Isaiah is all about God's judgment and what, what, how the people have rejected him, but, but chapter 40 marks a turning. And it's God saying, despite all this, I am coming with my mercy. And that's where it says, comfort, comfort my people. And he, and he reveals a lot then in Isaiah about his plans to rescue and redeem his people. And it points here in those, in those verses and, and elsewhere in the rest of Isaiah, it points to the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice, the sin 
that keeps us in bondage, the sin that keeps us separated from God, it will be paid for, God says. That, that wording there where it says, you will receive double for all the sins, what that's speaking of is that the sin, whatever sin is there, has been entirely paid for. Not, not an ounce of it is left. It says there, in verse three, it's the words that the John the Baptist came with, right? Verse three is, we recognize those are the words that John the Baptist came with in the desert as he prepared the way for Jesus. It says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And the question there is, will we welcome God into our lives? Will we prepare ourselves for his coming? And that's where verse four speaks of this coming of the Lord and valleys being raised up and mountains being brought low, this rough ground being made level. Whatever's wrong in the road will be smoothed out. Whatever needs to be corrected, right? And the problems are different in different places. Valleys that need to be raised up, mountains that need to be brought low. Whatever it is, whatever we're facing will be made right. This, this is a word picture for our lives, Right? Some areas of our lives need to be lifted up. Other areas of our lives need to be brought low. Some, there's the rough places that need to be smoothed out. Other parts may need a passage to be cut through the mountain so that God can get through. Whatever it is, God says, this is what I want to do. So I want to just, I want to end with a story because it, it, I'm reminded of this when I read this. Jess and I, We've traveled the number one highway to, to the, the West Coast for a lot uh, over the years to visit family. A lot of trips over the same roads. And um, earlier on in our marriage, they were doing a, a complete re-engineering of the road outside of Golden, B.C., where they were actually changing, where it, it, the Trans-Canada Highway went into this valley, and they were changing it completely to re-engineer it to go on the side of the mountain. And this took a number of years. I mean, it was a massive, massive project. And, we, and so for a couple, at least two or three years, we saw the progression of this project as we would drive through there. We would see these heavy equipment, huge excavators up on the sides of the mountains doing incredible work making this new road that was going to be traveled on. And it was like, you know, you're watching. And we don't, obviously didn't know the plans. We're like, how is this all going to come together? And then slowly but surely it did. And, and I remember... Uh, the first year that we drove on that new road, and it was completely different. Like the whole, the whole thing had been re-engineered, and you're driving on this section of road, and and through the one section of road, and I've, I'm going to show a picture of it. I've got because it's it's incredible. They blasted a hole right through a mountain because they where the road needed to go, there was a huge mountain right in the way, and they blasted right straight through, and and it's. You, you drive right through it, and you're kind of on an incline as you go down, so you're like, you're going at about 120 through this, and you're passing sheer rock that's been cut through, so if you want to bring this up, like, this is it. They, they did that. Right through that mountain, they built this road. It is absolutely incredible. Every time I drive it, I'm like, this is so fun to drive. But this, this reminds me of God's desire to work in my heart and my choice to respond to his work so that I can receive his love and extend it to others, right? There's, there's mountains that need to be brought low. There's mountains that need to be cut through in our lives. God's, God's heart is that people would come to know and receive his love. 
and that his followers, as followers of Jesus, that we would have this love flowing through us, that it would be coursing through our veins, so to speak, that we would be extending this love to a weary world around us. And so I wanna, I wanna end with an invitation this morning, and, and then I wanna leave us with some questions that I think will also help us to apply this to our lives. Because the, the gospel is an invitation to follow the way of Jesus. The gospel is an invitation for repentance of sin in our lives, to repent of sin, which is also an ongoing process, right? To receive the love of the Father and healing in our lives, to surrender our lives and to follow Jesus. That is the gospel, that we would lay down our lives, surrender them to the will of God. If you want to talk more about that with me and what that means, what it looks like, it's, it's, we call that discipleship, it's following the way of Jesus. I'd love to chat with us, with any of you about that. But this is, what does it mean to follow the way of Jesus? So I want to, I want to leave us with some questions this morning as well. I want to specifically help us because we need, we need help. All of us need help in loving others well by listening. Do you agree? None of us have arrived in this manner. We all need help. David Usberger, I think he sums this up so well. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. I, that, that quote gets me because that's hard, right? Like if, so the way that we listen to others is the way that they're receiving our love. I think sometimes we don't like that, right? We don't, we don't want that to be the barometer, but it is. So here's, here's some questions for us to help us. Number one, there's two slides here, five questions. Do I listen not only to what people say, but also for their nonverbal cues, their body language, tone of voice, and other physical signs? Like, what's going on as I'm listening to people? What's going on in their lives? Two, am I aware of how the family in which I was raised has influenced my present communication and listening style? Do I make, number three, do I make a great effort to enter into other people's experiences of life? Number four, do I ask questions when listening rather than mind read or make assumptions? Oh boy. These are hard, like, I, I, these are hard. I'm not, um, yeah, number five. Am I aware when I am listening of my own personal hot buttons that cause me to get angry, upset, fearful, or nervous? You ever, you ever get that when you're, when, you, when you're listening, you're having a conversation with someone and something happens and you can feel yourself, like that rising tension in you where you're like, I, I'm getting upset now or I'm getting fearful or this, this, this just really doesn't sit well with me and I don't know what to do with this? Do you, do you spend time ever like listening and seeing what's going on in you when that's happening and why that is? It's that, what are those emotional triggers in us that God wants to work on? All right. Why don't we pray because... I need the Holy Spirit's help in this. Folks, we all, we need the Lord's help. This is, um, 
We need the Lord's help to receive his love and to extend it to others. Father, I want to, uh, we want to thank you for your great love that you have for us. Love that in many respects doesn't make sense. Love that we hardly understand. Love that is so incredible. Love that is undeserved and yet you just lavish it upon us. God, I pray that you would give us a revelation of your love more than we've ever had before. I pray for a new revelation right now. I pray that you would come to us and that those words that we read in Ephesians 3 this morning would become so real to us that we we would know the love of the Father. Father, we, we, we're so grateful. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for laying down your life. Thank you that you counted the cost. Thank you that you, in every way, submitted to the will of your Father. Thank you that you were willing to go that extent so that we could be restored. Jesus, help us to love well. Help us to love others well. Where we find it difficult, where we find stuff inside of us that kicks up and we just find ourselves struggling so much at times to love others well. God, we need your grace. We need your mercy and Holy Spirit. We ask that you would empower us to love the way that Jesus calls us to love. God, I do, I pray that your heart would be our heart. God, we thank you for this season of Advent. We thank you for the way that you stir hearts and the way that you come to us in such profound ways and in such intimate ways. And Lord, we pray for more of that this week as we stir longing and expectation for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.